Thank you. That microphone transition was a lot smoother than the last one, although it had to be. Um, you know, uh, the title, you know, sometimes when people are speaking or sermons or passages or the message, whatever you want to call it, there's sometimes, you know, a title. And I think when pastors have been doing this a really long time, they probably get really good at coming up with titles. And it took me kind of until almost like yesterday to think about what the title of this one would be because I'm going to speak on a story that many of you are familiar with, The Rich Young Ruler. But um, really, it's not about the rich young ruler. It's really about Jesus. Um, and really, it's about holding tight. What are you holding on tight to? Um, and so uh, before I get into the story, which you all know well, I'm just kind of giving that heads up. Because as I tell this story, you might kind of figure out where I'm going with this. So um, I'm pretty sure everybody in this room knows, but for those of you listening at home, you might not know that by day, or at least by school year, I am a high school math teacher. So that is my occupation. Yeah, people love us or hate us. It's like really one of the two extremes, um, and that's fine. But um, something that inevitably happens um, all the time, every year, is that I have students come up to me and they are putting on their best face. And it's generally the last day of the grading period. Although sometimes it might be the day before. You never know. And they're just looking at me going, okay, Miss Brooks, um, what do I need to do to make an A or pass sometimes? Or sometimes you have those kids that are really just like overachieving students. And I don't want to... I don't want to get too hard on them because this was me as a student. They might say, what do I need to do to make 100 for the quarter? And as a math teacher, especially high school math, it is a matter of math upon like how their grade is calculated. I'm one of those teachers that says, I don't give you grades. You earn the grade. You know, It's annoying to the kids, but it is true, and they need to hear that, that I don't assign them grades subjectively at that point. Um, and, you know, my answers, depending upon the day, depending upon how many times I've been asked that question, uh, I'm not as patient as Jesus. So certainly my most patient self may give them a very honest answer about maybe something that they could do. Hey, you still haven't turned in this thing. You could still turn it in by tomorrow morning. Or we have a quiz. Let's say they're being better and that we still have a whole week left. And I'm like, you need to do this on your quiz in order to get this grade that you want. Um, but the most sarcastic version of Miss Brooks, which generally happens at the end of the day, and after I've already been asked this question many times, and I am dealing with, you know, mostly 17, even some 18-year-old students, so, you know, I would never say this to a five-year-old kid or anything. But uh, sometimes the answer is, go find a time machine, go back nine weeks, and do so many things different because it is literally impossible, especially when you're talking about someone who has done nothing and now they want an A. And so, and then I'm like, you know, I don't really mean that, but I just letting them know this thing is impossible that you're asking. It's not going to happen. And so there are some similarities to this in the story that I'm about to tell you, um, although there's some very big differences. I'm not Jesus. My students are not the rich young ruler. Um, and 
But I like to, I had kind of been thinking about how, what's the best analogy for something like this today? And this just kept popping in my head, and then I started thinking about a lot of different ways that it applied. So, um, you know, don't judge me too harshly for the whole invent a time machine joke. If you're dealing with 17-year-olds day in and day out, you know, some things come out of your mouth that you're not proud of, but, you know, it happens. I repent and move on. Okay. Um, the other thing before I really start reading the actual scripture here is that, you know, sometimes I am not a trained uh, theologian by any means. So I'm coming at this from a really similar place as y'all. I've studied the Bible my whole life unofficially, not formally. Um, I really have it on my heart to share the things that God's teaching me. Um, but I understand some things and uh, and I know that sometimes when Jesus is talking to people, he's talking to one person and having a conversation. He's not preaching to the room. And so likewise, when I'm talking to my students saying, you need to get a 95 on that quiz. If other kids go, oh, we just need to get a 95 on the quiz and we get an A in the class. I wasn't talking to them. So sometimes Jesus is having a very specific conversation with people, and his words to that person aren't necessarily meant for everybody to hear. But he generally does at some point in conversations, especially the ones that are recorded in the scriptures. I'm sure that he had many conversations. But in a lot of these, people start listening and go, what? And they're very confused. He caught them off guard many times, even his own disciples. And at that point, he generally does talk to the room or the church, or whatever you may be. So I want you to pay attention to that as we kind of read through the scripture. Um, one last thing. This story is in three Gospels, um, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And it's pretty similar in all three. If you're interested, I would encourage you to go and read the different ones. The details are not significant to any of the points that I will make here tonight. Um, but in all three, it follows the story that I won't get into in detail, but the one where the children want to come up to Jesus and the disciples are like, eh, he's too busy. And he's like, no, let the children come to me. And really, unless you come to me like a child, the kingdom of God is, you know, you're never going to understand the kingdom of God unless you think about it like a child. And so I always think that that's interesting that this comes right after that. Um, okay, so if you have your Bibles, please open up to Mark 10. Um, you'll see... A slide, and also there are Bibles in front of you, or you can swipe on an app. And I'll be reading out of the NIV translation. However, um, the message translation is also very interesting, and I'll point out a few things. But if you're on an app and you want to switch back and forth, you can do that. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony or lie. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And you're kind of getting where he's coming up with these things. These are things from the Ten Commandments. And the man said, teacher... I've done all of these since I was a boy. And so I'll kind of stop here um, for just a moment. 
If you just want to go back a slide, thank you. Um, so in this particular version of the story, it doesn't say rich, young ruler. But if you look at all of the different versions of the story, we know from all of them that he is rich based off of what happens in the story. In another one, we know that the man was relatively young. And we know that he was some kind of official. Um, all very powerful things in that time. And so you got to think, this is a man who essentially had it all. First of all, he was a man, which in that time, you could say this today, but really at that time and in that culture, being a man gave you a lot more rights um, and a lot more privileges than women. Um, certainly being wealthy in any culture and time allows you more things than if you're not. And um, it does imply here that he is more than just a little rich, but he is pretty wealthy. But something in him wasn't fully done. He knew, I'm doing these things. There's nothing in the scripture that makes us think that he was really secretly a bad person. Um, we don't know this, but there's no evidence of it. He wasn't a tax collector, which were notorious about stealing money. He wasn't any of those things that made people think he was bad. In fact, later on, you're going to see that People were shocked by Jesus' response to this fine, upstanding young man. But there was still something in him that he knew was missing. And I'm sure all of us have kind of gone through this. Um, and some of us may still be in that place today where we know something's missing. And so um, he asks, he's asking this question, I believe, in earnest. He really wants to know the answer. Um, He's talking about eternal life here, and when we hear that phrase so often in church, if you grew up like me, you hear eternal life and you think heaven after you die. Um, but that is not really how these people would have heard that. They would have heard life in God, kingdom of God, and that happened with Jesus. Right then he's talking about we're living, we can live this life right now. Um, certainly us living on this side of Jesus' resurrection and being able to have the Holy Spirit, we know we have access to this life right now. Um, and so it wasn't just a heaven when I die kind of thing. These people weren't acting like they were concerned about that. They, it was about life right now. And there is this whole thing where he says, why do you call me good? And that's a little confusing. And it's not a major point of what we're getting into today. Um, but Jesus does tend to kind of ask people, what do they mean? How are you coming at me? What do you believe? And kind of setting the stage for what's the relationship is going to be. Um, but there is a commandment, by the way, that Jesus left out. And I wonder, I am a teacher, so I like some audience participation occasionally. Um, or if anybody at home, what, I mean, there's more than one commandment left out, but there's a major one that we've kind of made our whole church's foundation kind of emphasized on. What commandment did Jesus not say? to him right here. Loving your neighbor. He didn't say that, and that's because of what happens next. Um, and if he had asked the man, do you love your neighbor? Probably the man could have said, well, yes, just like any of us right here. Do you love your neighbor? Of course I do. Like, how else are you supposed to answer that? Especially when you're talking about um, salvation and things like that. Um, 
he wasn't trying to trick Jesus either. We know that in other stories, these types of men, especially the men that were learned and maybe were active in the church, were trying to trick Jesus. He wasn't doing any of that. He was missing something. He's asking a question. He gets not a full answer, but he gets like a little bit of an interview. So then we move on to verse 21. And this is the part that I just don't think, like it hit me different. Hit me different as I've been preparing for this. Um, And the whole reason why I really wanted to speak on this. Jesus looked at this man and loved him. He loved him. Even though Jesus knows, like, this next question is going to hurt you. I mean, I think he knows that. But he loved him. And what he said next was out of love. He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, come follow me was something Jesus said to a lot of people back then. That's in a lot of uh, stories. Leave your nets, come follow me. Now, that was hard for them because that was all they had. The fishermen were their nets. Um, The come follow me, that's pretty standard. But the sell everything you have, give to the poor, that was not something Jesus was going around telling everybody to do. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. actually did a sermon about this. And you can, like, if you just Googled Martin Luther King Jr. sermon, rich young ruler, or he likes to say, like, the rich fool, um, it's a pretty good sermon. It's not super long, but it's, it's really good. And he describes it as, and I don't know if he came up with this or this is just a phrase he used. He said that Jesus is doing individual sur- surgery, not a universal diagnosis. So he's talking to this man about that first part. Um, now, it may be that that individual surgery needs to be done with someone in this room or somebody else reading this story. I don't know that, and I'm not here to make any conclusions about that. Um, but at some point, Jesus is going to transition to more universal truths about the kingdom of God. Um, so then he said, this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus starts to speak to his disciples. Before we look at that, I want to say what the message is. And if any of you have the app, you can just transfer that over. Um, In the message, it says his face clouded over. He walked away with a heavy heart. Other translations use the word grieved or a word like grieve, like what you would do when someone dies. Um, And in the message, it says he was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. And so this, this is the phrase that's kind of like sticking with me, the holding on tight. He was holding on tight to his riches and not about to let go. And... Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, who were just sitting there, by the way, like just watching. I mean, I can only imagine. Do you ever imagine like what it was like being a disciple? Just every time someone went up to Jesus and asked him a question, you're like, what's he going to say? Like, there's no telling what he would say. They were shocked all the time. I mean, even to the very end, they were very shocked. Um, 
and they're thinking, oh, he's going to talk to us now. And none of these disciples were really rich, so they might have been thinking, whew, okay, I'm not rich, like, I don't even have anything to sell, maybe. Um, But he turns around to the disciples, and it says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, remember this is following him talking to people acting like a child, coming to the kingdom of God acting like a child. Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this was a phrase these people would have heard before, and sometimes even in the culture we know they might have said elephant to go through the eye of a needle. And there are some people who have really tried hard to explain that he's not talking literally here and, um, and that he doesn't even really mean an actual camel through an actual eye of a needle. I remember, I was asking Amy because we grew up in the same church, but I remember someone really taking a very long period of time trying to explain that the eye was this gate and the camel is just, so it's hard, but it's not impossible. And I remember even like being a young person thinking, he's just trying to like say that being rich is like hard to be good, but it's not impossible. I remember thinking, he's trying really hard to emphasize that one point when whatever. So I don't know what it means. I'm sure there are lots of people, maybe someone online or maybe Adam could give me a lot more information, but I don't think that that's the point because Jesus says, um, even if he's just giving an expression, he's saying, when you're rich, when you're wealthy like this, The kingdom of God is not on your mind. It's not your priority. It's not your identity. And before we think about, like, the luxurious part of being rich, let's remember what does rich even get you? And so, I again, some audience participation. Being rich, what does it allow you, especially if you're a rich young ruler at that time? Power. Ooh, nobody's after power these days. What? Privilege, food, so he had a peace of mind that his needs were being met without ever worrying about, I'm going to not be able to eat tomorrow or feed my family. There's a security when you're rich. There's a security, this is just kind of overall encompassing some of these things, that you don't need anyone else. And it's really interesting because just like then, just like now, people who are extremely wealthy are actually extremely dependent upon the people who are in poverty to maintain their wealth. Um, Back then, there was, obviously, there was slavery and servitude and... um, People making very little money, just enough to eat. So all these things, we can't just say, ah, rich, being luxurious. If you just give to some to the poor, it's fine. This is a whole system of oppression, essentially. And there's really no way to talk around that, in my opinion. Um, now, we're going to pray on this in a little bit. And... Um, 
And I think that depending upon where everybody is, they may think about this differently. And I think this would be lead into great discussions in our neighborhood groups and as a church later. Um, this man didn't think he needed a community. And when Jesus said, come follow me, he's saying, follow me, but he wasn't going to do it alone. Um, he was going to do it with the community. So then in verse 26, it says the disciples were even more amazed. They were amazed. Their jaws were dropped. And now they're like cartoon characters with their chin on the ground. They were more amazed. And they said to each other, well, then who can be saved? This is the part that speaks to me that the disciples really thought, surely this man is pretty good. Like he's not evil. He could get away with being evil, but he's not. So he's in good shape, right? He's even coming to seek to you to gain more knowledge. And he wants eternal life. He wants life with you. Um, so they're like, well, who can be saved? If you're saying rich man, rich people can't do it, then who can be? During that time, even in today in many churches, a sign of wealth is a sign that God has blessed you so much that um, you've obviously given God so much that he's given you back those same types of riches. And Jesus is going to kind of flip that a little bit about the types of riches that we get with a life with God. And so Jesus looked at him and said, and again, this shows up in other places in Scripture. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. Can't do it by yourself, but you can with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up. Well, we've left everything to follow you. Sometimes I think I'm like Peter, and that's probably like being too kind to myself, thinking, oh, okay, good. I'm not rich. My bank account is, ooh, we won't get into that. Uh, I'm fa I've done everything I need. And so, you know, Jesus says, truly I tell you, you know something good is happening when you get the whole truly I tell you. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me um, um, for the gospel, the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Um, which, we've heard that so many times now, but you can only imagine the first time you heard something like that. That was probably such a breath of fresh air to people who were always last. But to people who were always first, that was scary. Um, they probably felt like they had really earned their spot, and they were really used to being first. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to just not be first, but last. So there's definitely metaphor here, but it's, it's puzzling and amazement. We have to think, I always think sometimes we lose that wonder of what it's like to read these words for the first time. So when he's, Jesus is saying this, he's inviting people to basically become heirs in the kingdom, adopted sons and daughters. And 
an heir, this rich young ruler would have known all about being an heir. He probably was an heir. He probably was born into um, his riches. We don't know that for sure, but that's generally how it worked. Um, And a lot of these people would have had no idea what it was like to be born with something. Um, Certainly women would not have known what it was like to be born um, with something or to be given your own thing. Um, And we know that Jesus is talking about right now because he says, and in the age to come. So it's not just in the age to come, but it's also in the age to come. Um, And the disciples seem to be like, yes, you've given up things, but you're now in this kingdom. And so I like really emphasizing that point because um, they weren't perfect. In fact, I'll kind of jump later. I won't read this, but it says they were still very puzzled and not a little bit afraid. I think that's the message translation. They still didn't quite understand everything. And I love that because even as I've really been studying this and thinking about it, there's still things I don't fully understand, especially like how this applies to me in my life. How do we interpret this idea of riches and holding on tight to them? How do we apply that today? Um, Especially when I may not have a lot of physical money, but I have access to a lot of things that money can get you that other people don't have access to. Food, security, things like that. Um, So this man walked away. We saw that earlier. And... He walked away really sad. And I don't think that Jesus stopped loving him when he walked away. I just, that doesn't line up with Jesus um, of these stories. And so I always wonder if this man changed his mind later or if his heart became open, if he was so grieved and he was walking away saddened and then he had an experience And I know that that's at least possible because that's what happened with Saul before he became a Christian. Um, I think Saul knew he was, there was something not right there and there was a lot of anger. And then he had a very big experience that led him to come to Jesus. And so I don't know what happened with this man, but I know that this got left in the stories that we get to read now. And even though this isn't like specific surgery to me, I can get some wisdom out of it, especially when Jesus is talking to the disciples. I can be an heir. He's calling us to be part of the kingdom right now. And the nice thing about being an heir, when you think about it, is even before, like even just like, Just right now, if someone's going to leave you something, um, if they have a whole lot, you kind of get access to it even before you get it fully. Like if your family is very rich and they're going to leave you a whole bunch of property or land, there's at least in part, there's a lot of blessings you get from that even before you get your full inheritance. Um, But Jesus is saying this can happen now. So Jesus calls us to follow him. So if you want to go ahead and switch to the slide that says big idea one, Jesus calls us to follow him. 
We know that because it happens a lot and not just in this story. It happens a whole lot. We don't have to earn our spot. This man was talking about doing things to earn his salvation. And Jesus does say, sell your things. But that was something he told him to reveal a heart thing. And then he just says, come follow me. It's not the following. It's not the act of walking. It's not the showing up to church. It's the abiding in Jesus. So a big question is, why do we keep trying to earn our salvation? Even today, it happens to all of us. There's something in us that feels like we're not worthy. So we have to keep reminding ourselves that we are heirs of the kingdom. We just have to follow him, and we don't have to know the answers to all the questions. So another big idea is Jesus invites us to a rich and full life with him right now. Not just when we die. There's so many more words in the scriptures. If you just take what Jesus says, his sermons and his conversations, there's so much more than when you die. In fact, you're hard-pressed to really see like a specific thing like when you die, blah, blah, blah. There are things about death and new life, but those are largely talking about dying to yourself right now, taking up your cross. We hear from Paul later that phrase. Um, and following him. So my question is, are you experiencing this type of life? Not a perfect life, not a life where you're filled with tangible riches, like when we think about the word rich. But he says, um, you will receive homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's fields, and along with persecutions. So not a perfect life, not a life free from any suffering. In fact, we hear a lot about that from Paul later on. But are you experiencing a full life where at your heart, the thing you're holding on to more than anything is Jesus? Is that your true identity? Or are you holding on so tight to something else? that you don't even have an open hand to accept him when he's right there. And I'm doing this with my fist because this is how I think of it. If I have an open hand, I can grab something. If my fist is closed, I can't grab something. I can punch it. I can nudge it. But I can't grab onto anything. And so likewise with our heart. If our heart is full with our identity in something other than Jesus. There's no room for him, and we did that. This also gets into our core practices. Now, if you're listening to this at home and you're like, what are your church's core practices? There are some great sermons on core practices on our website. Um, and so I'll just remind you of what they are. Following Jesus. Loving neighbor. We know we're called a love neighbor, and that will look differently no matter who you are and where you're at and all throughout your life. Growing disciples. Jesus was essentially calling this man to be a disciple. He couldn't do that if all he wanted to do was just sprinkle Jesus on top of his full life. Create space. 
Is there space to even hear what Jesus is inviting him to in bringing peace? And so this is a call to discipleship. And there is a cost to discipleship. Jesus mentions it here with the persecutions. After this story, people are talking about, I want to sit on your right and your left. And Jesus is like, you have no idea what you're asking when you say that. Because he knew what was ahead of him. Um, And so there is a cost to discipleship. Persecutions, suffering, not getting your way all the time. But you gain so much back. So that's why Dallas Willard says the cost of non-discipleship is too high. It's too high to not be a disciple of Jesus, especially when you kind of know what's possible. And I think that's why this man, the rich young ruler, was so sad because I think he knew enough. He knew enough to know what he was really missing out on, but his heart was just not open. And then the last big idea is this all seems completely impossible. It is, if we try to do it ourselves. So Jesus makes the impossible possible. So what seems impossible right now? And you can go big in the world, but I would encourage you to start small. What's something in your heart? What's something that you're really struggling with? Even just understanding about God. What's something that's rubbing you and you don't want to think about it? It's rubbing you the wrong way because you don't want to think about it and you're afraid of what the answer is going to be. It may seem impossible to get an answer or impossible to be able to accept an answer. And that's why we need Jesus. And so in a moment, we are going to have some time to pray Um, not a long time, but a short time, just to kind of reflect. But I have some other questions here, and I'll just go through them. Um, And if you want to write anything down, you, of course, can. Um, But I would encourage you to play along with this thought experiment with me. So what are you rich in? It may not be money. It may be money, but it may not be. (laughs) Okay? And it doesn't even have to be a bad thing. It could be something that you just have a lot of, that other people lack, that maybe other people need. Could be money, could be power, could be influence. It could just be time. I say just time. Time is one of our most valuable resources. I don't want to minimize that. Could be family, friends, intellect, creativity, health. What are you rich in right now? What are you holding on tight to? What are you holding on so tight that if you dropped everything, it's the one thing you would still hold on to? What's the thing you're holding on tight to? Is it hindering your relationship with God? If you were in a situation where you got to have that one-on-one conversation with Jesus like this man did, and he said, yeah, I do, I want you to give that thing up and give it, give it all away, what would your reaction be? That's a scary thing to think about. I know, because I've thought about it a lot this week. Um, and why are we not holding on to Jesus? When we know that he's it.
So before we pray, um, you may have resonated with different people in this story. Um, you may have resonated with a man seeking, having ans- questions and seeking answers. You may resonate with him when you're like, yeah, I've been doing all that, and I'm good. What else you got? Maybe pride or just confidence. You may be thinking, ooh, that hit me right in the heart, and I wasn't ready to hear that, and I'm feeling hurt. Um, You may not be ready to face something. You may be scared. You may be confused. You may be amazed. You may be a disciple that's thinking, I think I'm doing this thing, and I know it's costing me, and I feel it, but I'm getting real tired of sleeping in different people's houses every night or... (laughs) you know, outside in the dirt. Um, And I need encouragement. And I need to experience these blessings that we hear about in the Bible. You may be experiencing many of those all at one time. Um, The PRAY acronym is something that I have been doing for a while. Um, it's, It's something I heard about many years ago, and you've probably heard something like this at some point if you've been in church or done Bible studies. Um, The Lectio 365 app is something that I really got into a while back, and they had a slightly different version of the one that I had seen from years ago. And so I've kind of included different things here. This is just kind of how I think about this in general. Um, And if you're more interested in this, I'm glad to share this with you. I will tell you that right here is probably not the best um, place to do this, but if you've never done this before, it's great to start here while we're all together in our community and worshiping, and then the best time to do this is when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're not going to turn on the light to open up a devotional book, and you're not going to go Google searching some what to do in the middle of the night when I'm worrying about something that happened 10 years ago or so worried about this job interview next week. You're going to cling to what you've done before, most likely. That's how most people are. Um, so this is what I cling to. And I've been doing this a lot in the middle of the night for a while, and it's really easy to remember. So if you're thinking, ah, acronyms are kind of cheesy, they can be, but they're also easy to remember, and that's what you want when you're in a crisis mode and you're trying to think. Um, Obviously, saying the Lord's Prayer is a great idea, and you'll see how elements of the Lord's Prayer come up in this. So the P, um, pause, praise, quieting your mind, just stopping. Sometimes we jump into prayer and we forget about the whole, like, be quiet for a moment. Opening your heart and recognizing that God is actually with you right in that moment. You're not calling God to come to you. He's already there. Rejoice, reflect, and sometimes repent. So you're recalling blessings. You're processing, especially if you already have had something like this, where you're reading scriptures or you're thinking about something. And if you are called to repent, that would be a great time to do that. The ask is obviously something Uh, We do a lot in prayer, so it comes pretty natural. Um, What are your needs? What are the needs of others? Um, I think sometimes we forget to ask for discernment and strength. We just ask God to meet needs, 
And sometimes we're being called to meet those needs ourselves or with others, um, but we don't quite yet know how to do that. And then yielding is listening to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes yielding is just walking away, believing that you are God's beloved if you have forgotten that or if you don't feel it that day. So um, John's going to play for just a little bit. You're going to see this slide change in just a moment, and it's going to have this same kind of guide. If you notice, it's kind of very similar to the thank you, would you prayer with just a little bit of a bookend to it. So it's not super complicated. And if you don't have something you go to, I would encourage you to try this. Try it on. See if you like it. If you want to know more, you can ask me. Um, But I'm going to kind of put the mic down and just let you read the screen um, and kind of have a time to reflect on this lesson. Lord, we just thank you so much for the many, many blessings you've given our church. You have, and just recalling from several people today, you have provided us with and met our needs, uh, needs that we asked for and needs that we didn't even know we had until you met them. And I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you would give our church discernment on what to do with what we're rich in. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to hold on so tight to you 
and keep our identity firmly in you and that you would convict us if we strayed. I pray that every person in this room knows that when you look at them, you love them. You love them. You want them to come follow you. You do not want them to walk away sad. So I pray, Lord, that the hearts of our people would be changed and we would continue to fall more and more in love with you. Go in peace, love, and care for one another and neighbor in Christ's name. Go in the confidence of people who have found mercy through him, keeping the commandments and letting go of all that binds you to the ways of this world. And may God come close to you and keep you safe. And may Christ Jesus reward your faithfulness a hundredfold. And may the Holy Spirit be your help in time of need, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.